Let's get going. Hello, welcome to Speaking From Water, episode 11. I'm your host, Sean Rutke. And this is the program where we travel the world and speak with those who understand the water most. And today we are so incredibly fortunate enough to be with Jamie Mitchell. Jamie Mitchell is just one of the legends in the Waterman game all time. He's a 10-time uh, Malkai to Oahu uh, paddleboard champion, one of the best big wave surfers in the world, maybe the best. Uh, he surfed some of the, the largest big waves ever to, to maximize the planet. And um, we're, uh, we're just really honored to have you here today, Jamie, to, uh, to kind of hear what you have to say about a few things. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Long time. Yeah, very long time. Very long time. So uh, uh, where are you? How are you doing right now? Right. Hey, I, I just arrived in Te Austin, Texas, actually. I'm, uh, I'm actually out here speaking about water. We're actually, I'm here with uh, Surfline CEO, Kyle Lachlan, and we're actually uh, doing a, a talk for Surfline um, at the South by Southwest, uh, I guess they call it a conference slash festival, whatever it is. I, I just got sort of uh, dragged into it last minute. So Right now, I'm in Austin. It's cold. It's freezing. I, I did not think it was going to be this cold. I sort of blew it with the weather. But um, <laughs> but um, I'm feeling okay. I, I fractured my back. You might have heard I fractured totally my back. It. Yeah, about a month ago. So um, it's slowly healing. Uh, I just got to wait for that fracture to heal before I can start rehabbing. So uh, yeah, I'm just just on the mend and uh, out here doing some work. And uh, yeah, that's about it right now. I was really uh, impressed to see you even made it to Austin, Texas on another plane flight. I mean, your, your injury yeah. was only about a month ago. And I mean, God, I, I read the report on Surfline. I heard, I heard your story. It just seemed like, you know, the most scary thing that could ever happen to someone in your position. Yeah, it's, you know, anything to do with your back and your neck and anything that, uh, you know, allows you to function or not to function if you get hurt is definitely scary uh you know i guess in, in the scheme of things i got pretty lucky it was just a, a straightforward compression fracture of the l3 so uh not much i can do about it apart from just let it <laughs> that's okay no worries yeah. uh yeah not much more i can do that right now than just to sort of rest so that's that's what i've been doing i've just been uh taking it easy and hanging in with the family and um yeah so it's all good beautiful beautiful well um you know let's uh let's get into it i have a i, I want to kind of run a few things by you get get your history um and you, you know you're from cuffs harbor australia um i've, I've been fortunate enough to travel to cuffs uh Sautel is one of my favorite places on the planet it's a little south of cuffs but uh the, the, it's an incredible, incredible uh, surf town. Um, can you tell us a little bit, bit about growing up there culturally, uh, how you got in, into um, the water there and into just the love of, of being with the water? Yeah, um, you know, growing up in Coast Harbor was great. It's a, it was, a, you know, I guess you would call it a small little country town there in northern New South Wales, of, of uh, New South Wales. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's uh, built on a harbour, a big fishing harbour. So, you know, there's you know, lots of fishing, there's boats, there's a lot that was surrounded by water there. So my dad surfed and, uh, you know, and funnily enough, I, I had really got diagnosed with really bad asthma as a young kid. So, you know, swimming was diagnosed for me that would help that as well. So 
between you know that and the ocean um you know i started the junior lifeguards which is called nippers in australia i started that when i was like four years old and uh you know basically from that moment on you know my love for the ocean and the water uh is still going today uh, nearly 40 years later you know and um it's uh yeah so for me it started with just learning how to swim then it was definitely into the nippers uh you know the little nipper paddle boards and the brunstrom runs and all that and that very quickly went into the com the competitive side of that and uh, that led me all the way through my teenage years doing the ironman races surf ski paddling all the way all the aussie titles the state titles uh you know and, and the board paddling side of it was my favorite part and uh so then that sort of you know cutting forward a bit that led me into the molokai as well you know so that, that sort of and along the way you know i surfed and i boogie boarded and all this other stuff but my main focus in those years was really competing and racing and and doing all that stuff incredible can you kind of tell us a little bit about the the cultural difference between lifeguard culture and surfing culture um that the, is there a um a rift between the two or are they are they one of the same um, yeah then no well when i grew up there's definitely it's definitely a separation you know because you have What's hard in Australia, you have on the, on the weekends, you have the volunteers, which is, you know, when you're doing the surf life saving, you have to do a certain amount of volunteer hours. And, you know, we had flags set up, you know, you, surfers aren't allowed to come in the flags. And, you know, then, then you have professional lifeguards who work through the week. And, you know, some of those guys and girls are great surfers and um, uh, professional surfers as well. But, you know, the, the general public get them mixed up together and, you know, there can be a real difference between um, the way that the weekend warriors would do it on the weekends compared to the professional um, lifeguards. And, you know, where I grew up on the Gold Coast, there's a lot of rules. Dogs couldn't come through here. You can't surf there. It's, it's very, very strict and, and by the book. And, you know, surfers don't like that. <laughs> you know, they, they don't like being told that you can't surf here or it's a, or it's a danger being there or, you know, dog owners can't walk through this. You got to walk around the back. So uh, it's, you know, there is definitely a divide. I think it's, I think that divide has shortened up through the years because we've had a lot of really good surfers come through the ranks to be professional lifeguards when I was lifeguarding in Australia. You know, and then you see how the lifeguards are revered in places like Hawaii. And um, so, but when I was growing up, there was definitely a, a divide between surfing and the surf life saving for sure um each didn't really like each other and um each usually stayed out of each other's way if possible <laughs> so how did you find yourself in, in into the surfing world uh from because you eventually became um a very uh i believe high-ranking lifeguard in your own right um I, I, where where were you always a surfer and a lifeguard um and then were you uh at one point I'd be maybe more of one or it sounds also like you did a lot of competing with with life saving. Yeah. Yeah. No, I look, I grew up on number one. I, you know, I, I learned how to surf at, at an early age as well. But, you know, for me, surfing was, uh, you know, when time permitted, maybe a couple of times, like maybe once a week on the weekend. But majority of my time was spent training Monday to Friday. Then the weekends, we would be basically racing through the summers. And then, you know, with that came um, swimming contests, swimming clubs, and 
all the school, you know, I just represented my school in swimming. And so, you know, I was, I really just loved competing, whatever it was, you know, whether it was playing football, playing soccer, um, little athletics, running, swimming at all. So, um, but, you know, when I got to, when I moved to the Gold Coast and I started competing with North Burley and got really serious with the surf life saving, uh, I started to work professionally for the lifeguard service there as well. And I guess that's where, um, for me, the crossover started to become, you know, you know, I, I, again, I'd always surf, but, I, you know, surfing was a secondary pursuit, you know, behind all the training. So then once that started slowing down, I focused more on Hawaii and the Molokai race. And then, then I started to spend the winters in Hawaii. Uh, you know, that's where um, it all started to come together for me, like there a little bit more respect you know, doing the paddleboard race and then surfing the big waves and I was a lifeguard. So it all sort of started to entwine together, but it took a long time, you know, and, uh, you know, respect's not easily given, it's earned. And, um, you know, you can still be a really good waterman, be a real, be a dick, you know, <laughs> and if you're an asshole and a dick, then no one's going to respect you either way. So, um, so yeah, you know, for me, I just, I always, was like, hey, you know, like I always just put my mouth money where my mouth was. You know, I just I was humble, quiet, went about my business, and just you know, and just uh, started forging a career as um, as a waterman. What was the point when you said to yourself, "I need to, I need to step this game up. I need to go out to Hawaii." What were kind of the circumstances around that? What what drove your heart to say to yourself, "It's time to leave Australia." And, um, and chase um, a, a, a bigger dream? Yeah, I mean, I'd always had dreams. Like, I, you know, like any kid growing up in Australia, like I, I watched Eddie I Cow. You know, you know, Hawaii was always huge. We had amazing surfers, like growing up, like Ross Clark Jones, Tom Carroll, Barton Lynch, Damien Hardman. Like all those surfers in Australia were my heroes, you know. And so I, I, you always have these dreams of going and surfing Pipeline and Waimea Bay and, you, but you think it's a little far-fetched coming from a little town like I did in Coffs Harbour. But, um, you know, when I, start, when I really started going to Hawaii for the paddleboard race and starting to meet all the lifeguards there and surfers and big wave surfers that were paddling, um, that's when I sort of was like, wow, this is really, I want to I not just go there in the summer and paddle, but I want to go back in the winter and start to challenge myself surfing. And, uh, you know, once I set myself to a challenge, it's, it's, I usually see it through to the end, you know. And one of my biggest goals, for whatever reason, and it was so ridiculously far-fetched, was to be in the eddy. You know what I mean? Like, it just, I look back now and go, that was a crazy dream and a crazy idea. But, you know, like, I was able to do that, like, in 2016. I got to surf in the eddy, you know. And uh, so just, uh, yeah, but around 2000 and. I would say my first winter season, full winter season in Hawaii was 2004, um, 2004, 2005 season. And, I, and you know, I went back for, I must have spent six months in Hawaii ever since then. Now, now I'm living there full time. But, you know, I decided to get into your question. There was a moment when I got a contract, my first ever contract from Quicksilver. It's enough money to just like, like survive, but it wasn't enough to like really take off and travel across the world. I was making more money lifeguarding but I but I decided at that moment I said if I'm going to give this a shot I can't be working lifeguarding and trying to do this and that I've got to give it all my 
you know, give this one thing, everything I've got. So I quit my lifeguard job, told those guys, hey, I've got an opportunity to try and do this. And I just started to travel and try and get places and on a shoestring budget. But um, ever since that day, I've, I never had to go back to lifeguarding, you know. So um, I was able to somehow find a little niche and survive off some prize money here and there and a lot of good friends around the world crashing on couches and having good friends, you know. But um, it's been a really cool cool experience and a cool ride. So what what was that like that first time getting off the plane uh, on the island of Oahu? What, what kind of, uh, what was your vibe, your expectation? You, you traveled to the North Shore, I assume, directly. What happened next? Yeah, my first ever time to Hawaii was actually to, um, I was filming a lifeguard documentary and, and part, part of it was in Hawaii. The rest, there was four parts to it. There was Hawaii, Bali, Jamaica, and San Diego. And uh, that was in 2000, uh, sorry, 1997. And so my first experience was straight to the North Shore, straight meeting all the lifeguards. You know, I met Rick Williams, Terry Ahui, uh, Mark Cunningham. Um, I was doing stuff on a jet ski with those guys and, and they took me in and, uh, and it was a really cool experience. And then, uh, so it was just, I mean, it's awe-inspiring, you know, turning out. Because that, at that stage, I remember Qantas flights used to fly into mid, that midnight to Hawaii. So there's nothing like, so I drove into the North Shore in the dark and then I woke up the next day and I was at Turtle Bay and I'm like, okay, where am I? How to, and so I just started walking. I started walking towards Sunset Beach and tried to rent a bike to start looking around. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like being a kid, at, for, for an ocean lover, it's like a kid being in a candy store, man, like the North Shore, the bike path, uh, going past Pipe and Waimea, it's just like a dream come true. Did you have some contacts at the time or were you just going for it? Sort of no contacts apart from being there with the film crew and stuff and having to meet these guys. But, but as of like, no, like flying in, I was just, yeah, I'd really had no contacts, just a few names and numbers I was going to meet. And, and uh, those, those guys are still my friends to this day. What was that first session like? I surfed, my first session ever was at Rock Piles. And I met my, I met a, friend, a long-time friend, I, the first lifeguard I ever met there, his name was Mike Trisler. He's now a stunt coordinator and uh, there's a lot of stunt work in Hawaii. And uh, yeah, I remember my first surf at uh, Rock Piles, surfing the right and the left there, getting pounded and hitting the bottom and getting rushed up in the rocks and <laughs> all sorts of fun stuff. But uh, it's, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, you know, you, you have this, uh, this very solid career as a lifeguard. A lot of people in, in the USA don't really get it. Like Australian lifesaving is like being a firefighter or a police officer here. Um, you know, so you have a really secure job. You, you say, I'm, I'm giving it up to chase this dream. At the time, um, there was no uh, a waterman job. You know, professional big wave surfing didn't exist. So you're almost going into this new life, you know, professionally as an entrepreneur, I would look at it as. Yeah, um, you got it. You got to make your own way. Um, kind of what was your idea from a business perspective as to how to sustain yourself um, in your new role? Yeah, it was it was. I mean, when I look back at it, like I, I really at the start of it was sort of got, it was more of a for a paddleboarding contract, really. Like, I mean, I may I may have been really the first ever professional paddleboarder, you know, um, at that at that point, because I was getting paid to really just train to paddle and do the Molokai and. But for me, I always wanted to transition into big waves and then, you know, stand up, come along. And, and I, you know, and 
I just, I, I just knew that being a paddleboarder wasn't going to cut it. You know, like I had to make myself diverse. And you know, when when at the end of the year came and they're like, well, what's Jamie doing for the Quicksilver for the company? They're like, oh, you know, he's won Molokai, he's surfed this big wave, he's getting the shots doing that, he's winning stand-up paddleboard, right? You know what I mean? There's a diversity of um, stuff there that, you know, I can go back as a resume and go, hey, I'm, I'm a value to this company or I'm a value to that company. And um, so, you know, I was just always trying to not be one-dimensional um, and, Really, man, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of times where Quicksilver were like, hey, we, we can't, we, you know, we're cutting you, you know, like we don't have the money, budget cuts and this and that. So there's been a lot of ups and downs too. And 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 and, and right now, really, I don't get paid to do any, I, I don't get paid to surf right now. I, I have zero sponsors in the surf, in, in the surf world right now, um, you know, during, during COVID and everything. So, you know, like, uh, again, you know, just, trying to think outside the box starting my own podcast and um doing some other business stuff with um big wave surfing that's going to come out um come out in the public soon what we've been working on there and uh so yeah you know there's a bunch of different things uh to keep keep myself going and motivated and uh you know i still love to chase swells i still love to do um big wave stuff i've been you know working closely with surfline I'm doing bringing bringing the public closer, doing the live and the channels and stuff. So there's a lot of cool stuff. You just got to be open to it, and you got to um, you know understand that when one door shuts, another one can open, and you just got to try and be be um, I guess open to that, and hopefully jobs will come your way. How how there does that relate? It seems like it does a lot. Uh, your competitive nature that you fostered as a youth to both your your aquatic adventures to your to your life adventures on land um th it seems that that the, they both correlate to ultimate uh success um i would say so yeah. i guess um my next question here is what is it kind of that you do on a daily basis to 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 keep everything moving what are what are your what are your uh uh positive routines uh yeah. that you've done in the past and that you do to this day that that gets you uh to that high level that you sit at yeah I've, de I've definitely got to train i've definitely got to move it's all about moving um you know i try and at least train do one like workout style session a day and then you know one like and then one surf like get jump in the water and surf so i try and do two things a day um sometimes if the surf's junk i'll train twice a day sometimes the surf's really good i won't train i'll just be surfing so it really depends on what's in front of me, what the ocean's doing. But, uh, you know, I, I like to swim still to this day. Um, I've just found, uh, I've been able to go back to start running lately. So I, I enjoy running. I've been started enjoying uh, mountain bike riding. Um, so, you know, between those few things, I, I, I fell in love with yoga a few years back. So yoga, yoga and stretching um, can be a part of it as well. And then, for a bit, my big ritual, my one thing that I do every single day is sauna ice. I've got a sauna and an ice bath at my house. So that's a ritual that I do every night before I go to bed or before or after I put my girls down to sleep is um, I sauna ice for at least an hour a day. And uh, that really helps inflammation, just being alone. It might get, get me my own thoughts, like a sort of a meditated state, you know. So I, I really love the the sauna ice I, I can't go without it what does that session look like how, how, do, how do you go about doing that 
Uh, it'd be like just, um, you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes in the sauna, then three minutes in the ice, then back in for like another 15 or 20 minutes in the sauna, then finish off with another three minute in the ice. So, you know, it's either that or if, it, if I'm not, if I'm feeling just like I want to do once, I'll do like a longer drawn out sauna, then finish with the ice as well. So I mix it up a little bit, but uh, but it's something that I've just, it, I've found so much benefit out of it. And uh I couldn't, I can't see myself, you know, that's my, that's my hack. You know, I, I really love and I, I feel the benefits of it. It makes me feel clearer, clear, clear minded and um, makes me sleep better. So it's a, it's a really good tool for me to use. Yeah, that's epic. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your, your swimming. You, you come, uh, obviously you've said from a, from a deep swimming background, swimming, I, I believe you said was your, your kind of first thing you did before anything else um to this day you still swim yeah 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 I, I would um try and swim at least once or twice a week and that could look like anywhere between three to four kilometers on a on a session um and then now also incorporating some of the underwater breath sort of style training with the weights and that trying to incorporate that into the swimming as well yeah I love swimming it's just it's great for your breathing it's it's it, it's just great for it's not it's not like it's sort of more of a, it can be like a recovery style session as well. If you add in some backstroke and breaststroke and you, know, you can stretch out the muscles and the arms different ways, but yeah, swimming is still one of my favorite things. I enjoy it more now than I ever have just because I don't really need to do it trying to make certain times. It's just doing the laps and getting nearly into a meditative state as well. So um, that, I'm guessing a, that'll be, a, excuse me to interrupt, but it's in a pool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, in the winter time for sure, but summertime I do a lot of ocean swims. I'll go down to Wymere Bay and swim laps there, or I'll jump in a pipeline and swim to Wymere and stuff. Like it's real beautiful, beautiful to, to do open water swims in the you know in the summer there in Hawaii. Uh, where do you feel you get a better uh, endurance workout? I guess um, I, I'm a big swimmer myself. I find um, the walls to be a um, a really strong spot to to really get a, a solid cardio work in um you know you gotta yeah really yeah i think you know if you want to get a good real like quality session in the pool is probably where it's at but if you're just looking for a nice 30 40 50 minute minute swim then the ocean's real nice too it just gets you off that black and that black line and doing tumble turns and driving yourself crazy you know right right would you say swimming is a is a something that all surfers should be tapping into I think so because I mean, number one, safety. If you if you get stuck, lose your board, or need to be able to swim, you need like you need to be able to save yourself. Number one, and number two, you should be able to be able to save some someone else. You know, not just yourself. You know, so um, it's exactly the same stroke as paddling. If you 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 interview anyone when you go out for a surf for an hour, most days, how many waves do you catch? Say you catch, say in a good session you catch ten, and you're at a and you and that each one is ten seconds. That's like a minute forty of surfing time in an hour. So you for for ninety six percent of that session you're you're paddling or sitting, but basically you're paddling, right? You're not surfing, you're actually paddling. So um, I would imagine it would be a good thing to learn how to swim and paddle stronger and paddle faster. I think it would be a smart decision. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, uh, how would you, I guess, 
described how the breathing should go during um, a swim session? Uh, I like doing bilateral breathing. I like doing um, uh, the hypoxic breathing, three, five, sevens and stuff like that. But just your basic um, three strokes each side is a good one to start with. And then you can just you know, go, you know, three, five, three, five, three, five, three, five, seven. Then you can just do like, you know, five, three, you can mix it up, but um, you know, not just swimming, not just swimming like, you know, side to side, one breath at every stroke, you know, I feel like, and then you can, you can actually like uh, build yourself up and see, you know, see a uh, improvement in your, you know, your breath, how you can hold your breath, how you utilize your oxygen while you're swimming. So there's lots of cool things you can do with swimming, you know, underwater stuff, always do it with a partner, but, but, you know, like you can do breath holds and, you know, kicks underwater, come up, sprint swimming. There's so many fun little things you can do. You just got to get creative. When you do your training, do you use any uh, biometric marks? Like, do you wear a, like say an Apple watch to track your heart rate or um, anything, anything like that? Yeah, I have a Garmin watch that I like to use when I go run or go swim laps and stuff. More, more so just tells me how far I've swam or, but especially the running in that, like when I'm running, like I can definitely you know, see how fast I'm running, like, you know, if it was a good day, a slow day or average and stuff. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, like, if I was into, if I was really geeking out on, um, like, racing on certain things, I'd probably geek out more on it. But, but I definitely love having the, you know, the, the Strava and the, and, the, and the watches so you can go back and look at times and look at your times against other times and stuff like that and just see improvement. And um, I think it's, I think it's good. So before, uh, back in the day, so to speak, when you, when you were really in your, um, your prime, uh, doing all, all your different uh, races through lifeguarding and then into the, the paddleboard racing, what, how did you know when you were either overtrained or undertrained, what were kind of the things you felt in your body to decide wh where you stood before you went to an event? Yeah, I think you just, you, you know, as an athlete, you know what your body can take and it's easy to overtrain. But uh, I think for me, it was just, I would check my heart rates in the morning, just a very simple heart rate check. And then, you know, if it was anywhere near 10 beats um, above what it usually was, I would usually take the morning off. But, um, you know, I just, towards the end of, of you know, younger, I could just push through it. But when I, but towards the end of my 10 mile cars, I definitely was able to listen to my body more. And I actually found like I was training less, but doing more quality sessions instead of, you know, doing a lot, like a lot of miles. So but you just have to know when to back off. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to, your ego has to, you have to check it, you know, and just, and go, it's okay to rest. You know, getting a massage and resting is just as important as doing that hard session. You know, without that, without good sleep, without good nutrition, recovery, you're, you're screwed. You know, and you're just going to drive yourself into the ground and get sick and get injured. So uh, it's a big part of being an athlete is understanding your body. Um, no one, everyone's different. No one should or could tell you how that works, but you. But, they, you know, and also you can't be, you can't use that as an excuse to not work hard either, right? So there's a fine line of, you know, not being a, pussy i guess and uh <laughs> and yeah. getting out there and going after it without you know so you just got to know your body beautiful um 
So you've you've been uh, in in some of the craziest situations uh, on the planet. You have one of the most unique um, experience resumes that that there is out there when it comes to uh, big wave surfing. I, I believe you you uh, might even hold the largest paddled in wave um, in in the world. Um, can can you um, tell us about the most impressionable um, situation or time that you hold um, in yourself from your experience? Um, yeah, there's, there's one. I mean, one that really stands out is I, I, I was at Puerto Escondido about four years ago and my board flung back when I jumped off in the barrel and the tail of my board hit my sternum and fractured my sternum. And I was stuck. I couldn't breathe. I was getting in the recycled and I literally could not breathe. And no one, no one was coming to help me. And I had to, so my growing up with asthma and like really struggling to breathe a lot and understanding small breaths and my swimming and all that stuff saved my life. If, if, I think I would have died if I wasn't able to understand that I could just get sips of air and then let it slowly like release, like from getting hit. This is like getting hit by a sledgehammer in the chest. And so like, it took like a minute to like, for everything to start to unlock up and be able to get more and more breaths. And then I had to like, cause at Puerto Escondido you get pounded and you get psyched back out and pounded. So you have to actually make a conscious effort to get out of the impact zone. But, I could barely move because my chest was, my sternum was fractured, couldn't breathe. So that was a really tough moment where I had to like count on everything that I'd learned as a kid, swimming, breathing, not panicking to survive that, to survive that moment, you know? So yeah, there's been other couple of horrible moments where I've been caught in giant big waves and had to use, you know, all that, you know, courage and knowledge and, experience to get through it but the one in mexico wasn't even really that big of waves to be honest like maybe 10 foot faces like double overhead but but the situation was scary because i couldn't breathe so that was probably the the one time that i've really counted on everything that i've learned to survive that moment so how do you come out of a situation like that and say all right we're going even bigger next time um does it make you stronger or do you have um, a little bit of apprehension that you need to overcome mentally? How does that work in your mind? Uh, yeah, you, you have, you know, after every injury, you have some sort of, um, but the thing, the, the thing about that was it wasn't, the waves weren't giant. So it didn't come from a thing about big, like being giant waves. This one was just the accident, hit the chest. So once that was healed up and all good to go, that one, not so much, but there was a, a wipeout in the Jaws contest a few years ago where I free fell from the top and got pinned on the bottom and I got concussed and that 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 that's that um put me on the back burner for a year. I was a little bit tentative, a little bit scared, a little bit I'd, I'd lost a little bit of confidence and I had to really work myself back into into that, you know, and, and that's sometimes just get when you when you lose your confidence in big waves, getting back out there and trying to just get some waves without stacking it again and and uh, wiping out can be challenging but you know i just love it it's what i love to do it's how i challenge myself uh and you know if if i didn't want to do it i wouldn't do it you know i i if i didn't really love it and i was really really scared and i was doing it for the wrong reasons and i think that would show show true i think that is true in any sport 
you know, if you don't really want to be there and you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it shows. But I truly love just testing myself in the ocean. I think big wave surfing, paddle surfing especially, is the ultimate test of being out in the water with a bit of foam and your two arms and trying to put yourself to catch a 60-foot wave is one of the most ultimate tests you could ever do in the ocean, you know? So th those would be your reasons why you do it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love the camaraderie. I love, I love the friends. I just have always been a massive fan of the ocean. And, and the, at, at it, when it gets gnarly and the craziest it gets, I want to be there. I want to see it. I want to work out how to manipulate it, how to work it out and make sense of it, you know. And that's always been, whether it's been downwind paddling, paddling, swimming, or surf skis or paddleboards out through 10-foot surf and, or whatever it may be. Um, that's always been my passion is unlocking how to, you know, how to work with the ocean and be one with it so that I can um, somehow ride it <laughs> when it's at its rawest, you know, rawest, gnarliest form. And, and that kind of brings me to my next question, the, the aesthetic of water, which is what this podcast is all about. And that's really the philosophy of beauty when it comes to the water. Um, you know, uh, a lot of surfers I know, or uh, they, they won't go out unless it's groomed glassy. Um, you, you, you've paddled and in races for hours and hours in just extreme waves. You've been in all the different kinds of conditions. What is it? Is it all love for, for you as far as these aesthetic um, factors of the water? And can you can you kind of speak to us a little bit about that in your own in your own words and your own um, thoughts uh, regarding beauty and water? Yeah, I, you know, I think I think Bruce Lee said it best: is just like be like water. You know, what I mean, you want to move like water. You want to when you're in the water, you want to curve to the water like a dolphin would or you know, you want to, you want to conform to it. You want to work with it. You don't want to work against it. And um, that takes, a, you know, to see the really good, you know, there's some really special people that, you know, like, a, like Kelly Slater, John, John Florence, Kai Lenny, there, you know, there's, there's certain people that just um, Mike Stewart, um, Mark Cunningham, Brian Carolina, there's just certain people that just look at one in the ocean, you know, and that's, that's, um, I think you're born with that, like a Laird Hamilton, a Dave Kalama. Um, it's just, but, it, but it's like that thousand hours theory, right? It's, you've just got to spend time and you, it's not about just the nice groom days. It's the, it's the days that are super gnarly. And, you know, like, you know, my whole life has been throwing myself in the ocean when most people are running the opposite way. And you know, when it's flowing 35 knots and it's a storm and, you can't get in through the bars in the Gold Coast. Like we'd go downwind paddling, you know, we'd find a way to go out or, you know, when it's big and gnarly and you can go try and surf, you know, like I'm trying to get out there to work it out, you know? So, so just, and, and the ocean is always different. It's never, never once. There's no wave the same. It's always, you know, it's a, it's a matter of degrees. It's a matter of direction. It's a matter of feet. It's a matter of inches. It's, wind direction, swell direction, swell period. How does this all work? You know, and you've got to come together with all these variables and, and try and go out there and be one with this, the, with the water, you know, and it's, um, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing 
teaching that's never going to end and you're never going to learn you're never going to master it and i think that's the beauty of it is that you know every time you go out you can expect something different and something unexpected that was some beautiful poetry uh that was just epic um so you you speak so much of nature there um the the contest you were just in where you were injured you were doing uh, uh towing you were also um you, you were coming about in a time when towing was really just being invented, uh, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when you first got to Hawaii. Um, are you ever conflicted about towing and machines or do you, do you view it as a tool? Um, do you ever find yourself, um, you know, cursing the things when you're out there <laughs> on your on your uh, 12 foot board charging and, you know, they're getting zipped in like. Um, yeah, there's there's a, there's there's like a. Um... Uh, unwritten law like you meant to you know the paddlers are, when paddlers are paddlers skis don't surf and there has been a big change to paddling but look jet skis have a massive part because jets without jet skis we don't have the rescues we don't have the people out there watching our backs and picking us up and plucking us out of bad situations so look toe surfing has its place no there's no doubt about it uh, all the slabs in australia um Nazareth, you know, Mulligmore, massive jaws, massive mavericks. There's times where it's too big to paddle. There's just, it's just, it's humanly impossible. Um, and then there's times where you paddle and I think you just, you just blend with what you've got at the, what, what, and what your goal is, you know? And um, yeah, there's times where I wish I'd grabbed the ski instead of trying to paddle sometimes. And, and then there's, you know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, you got to stay true to yourself you know, what is it that your goal is? What is it that you're after? But, you know, like I, I have skis, uh, you know, I have those four strokes, the emissions for the environment are so much better than what they were back in the day with two strokes. And, and um, it's a, it's, it's an amazing aquatic tool, man. Jet skis brings you a lot of pleasure, you know, whether it's downwind foiling or, you know, just having a jet ski to, you know, follow someone when they're doing a downwind paddle or, you know, so they, they, they have a lot of great uses that, but you know, they break down a lot and they tend to break down at the worst time possible. So yeah, there's been many a time where I've been cursing my ski floating out, floating out the sea and then you get rescued. But, uh, but the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. That's for sure. How, how do you know when it is time to uh, put the board up and go for the ski? Um, you know, you, you do charge the, the largest waves paddling. How, how do you know where the line is? Uh, you just, you know, there comes a point where the conditions and people just aren't catching waves. It's just, you know, if you've gone an hour or two and not one paddle has caught waves and, you know, then, you know, we should step aside and let tow or everyone should just start to go tow, you know, like let go surf. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's common sense, you know, and most of the people that are all at the same place, you know, like sometimes it, like a cloud break, and chopu like when the big sets come through they'll tow them and then the paddlers try and get the inside and and the same as shipstones bluff so there's places where it works really well when where the surfers and the you know the experienced guys there they obviously talk within each other and they work it out and um yeah common sense prevails most of the time what, what is your favorite big wave oh man it's hard to say i really love mavericks and and jaws um just yeah they're the most next level ones as of for paddling especially but you know soft spot for sunset beach and you know and uh, maverick i mean and um why me as well but 
you know, perfection-wise, two best big wave waves, like size and is Cloudbreak and Jaws. There's no doubt those two waves, opposite direction, one's a left, one's a right, but they just, you couldn't draw a more perfect big wave in the world than that. What was your uh, best session at Cloudbreak? Uh, I had a couple of really good sessions on a stand-up board, actually. And then I've been, I was there for the uh, 2012 Thundercloud Swell when the uh, Volcom contest got pulled off. So I got to surf that day as well, which is pretty magic. Can you speak to uh, surf culture around the world? Um, you've been to all the, the greatest beaches. You've seen um, uh, all the greatest, greatest surfers. Is, is it all um, ubiquitous? Does it all, um, is it all the same or are or, or, or the, the nooks different? I think it's different everywhere you go. You know, you go to Australia and it's very, um, you know, it's very organized. It's very, uh, what's the word? You know, it's very like authoritarian, you know, like there's flags, there's lifeguards, there's rules and it's all very, um, the surf clubs in every kilometer of the beach and they race each other. And then the, so the board riders have their clubs. It's very um, organized and they have Surfing Australia. And then you come to Hawaii and it's like the life gets a little bit, lot more relaxed, but the lifeguards are gnarly and it's more, they're looking after the surfers on the North Shore, not so much swimmers. And you might go to, go to California and they're more like Australia again, you know, like they're more authoritarian as well. They're very organized LA County or someone like that. Then you might go somewhere, Morocco or Jamaica and Bali. And it's like, it's pretty, pretty loose. It's just pretty like whatever, you know? So it's different everywhere you go, you know? And, um, you know, I think that's, that's the beauty of different countries, you know, like everywhere is different. It would be horrible if everybody was the same as Hawaii or everybody was the same as Australia or California. I think every, every little zone has its little, ways of doing things and i think that's what that's that's the beauty of it yeah um just to change up the the, the uh, script a little bit you know you um you have a really epic podcast yourself um uh, late drop through the through Surfline. um can you tell tell us a little bit about how that got started and then what what um is is maybe your uh, methodology for for that and and goals and are you going to be doing um any more uh, here coming coming up? Yeah, so basically, you know, I'd always wanted to do a podcast for the last four or five years and just never had found the time or didn't know what I wanted to do it about. And then, um, you know, COVID came and I, I talked to Surfline. I said, hey, really, I would really like to do a podcast and, you know, try and tie it in with, um, you know, tie it in with, uh the other stuff we're doing with Surfline and Big Wave. And um, so, yeah, I was like, hey, I just want to tell the stories of the surfers. I want to, the, the, the guys and the girls, I want to have their story. You know, because Big Wave surfing, you see a big wave and a small and a small board and a black wetsuit. You don't really see anyone's face or, you know, so I want to, I want, to, I want the, the community out there to see these people's faces, hear them tell the stories you know, raise more awareness for the athletes, you know, so that's really the, the goal, the goal of it is just to have, and to have these stories archived for life, you know, for forever and a day, you know, all these cool stories of the guys and girls that surf these waves. So, um, yeah, that was the, that was the theory behind it. I just wanted to talk to my friends and talk story and, and, uh, make, make, make their, 
know, achievements and stories more aware to the you know, general population. Do you have some coming up? Yeah, we're going to start it back up again. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be like the video style. It might be just the um, audio version where I can actually do it in person you know, these days. So, yeah, but I'm going to start back doing it. Double D's on the list to do. And there's so many people that can, that you know, that can jump on there, which is really exciting. So, yeah, start looking out for it again. I'm going to start to try and do at least once, once a week or once a fortnight, I think. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan again. And uh, I'm looking forward to that double D session. Um, he's, he's a good guy. Yeah. So um, we're going to wrap it up here in a second, but uh, what, what kind of advice do you have for, for aspiring surfers out there, young and old who want to step up their game, who want to ride, you know, not, not probably the, the waves that you're riding, of course, right. but you know, bigger waves in, in general. Look, I think it's just, it's, it's experience and consistency. You know, you got to have consistency in your training. Um, maybe go on, you know, what, what scares you the most? You know, most people it's holding their breath, right? So go and find um, a free diving class or some sort of swim class, you know, somewhere I see they do all these fun, like underwater, like um, nearly water polo things they are holding their breath. So go find something that um, with a professional, that can help with your breath holding um, and, you know, and get confident, you know, find out what equipment, you know, works and take baby steps, you know, like if you want to come to Hawaii and you're an experienced surfer, but you want to check it out, like, you know, start off at Sunset Beach, you know, and then surf that until it gets to 10 to 12 feet. And then once you feel like you've got that, you know, under your, under your belt, then maybe you can go to small Waimea, you know, and then, once Waimea's feels comfortable, then maybe you can check out an outer reef or something, you know, but um, it's just baby steps. Don't try and jump the, jump the queue and skip all the steps that you need to do. And uh, yeah, be consistent in your training. With, with consistency comes confidence and with confidence, you know, you can go out and do anything. So, um, but uh, don't, I guess one thing is, yeah, just don't try and be the hero and go out to 30 foot Mavericks when you're not ready for it. You know, like it, it could end really bad. I've heard some uh, say that that sunset is almost kind of like a uh, great big wave training wave. It, would you would you uh, agree? Oh, it's the best. Yeah, it's, I live right there at Sunset Beach, and there's no better training place. You know, if you can go surf sunset as big as it gets for a couple of weeks there, if it's pumping, you'll know if you're ready for some bigger stuff after that. Absolutely. Um, and the last question here. So this is kind of a uh, a magical hypothetical. So you have a machine that you can get in and it's like a UFO. You can hover anywhere in the ocean, hang out there. Where in the map would you hang out in your machine? Would you like, where's this X located where you'd plant that thing, hover and, um, and, and wait for that, that monster swell? Um, if, if, if you would like to, to not say that's fine, um, but I have- uh, No, no, I think somewhere down in, I think somewhere down in the, the atolls there in Tahiti still, I think there's a lot of places down there that are probably, um, got amazing waves that we don't know about. It's hard to get to, hard to check out. So I'd say somewhere down in that Tahiti zone or um, that'd be pretty cool. So maybe get a mega yacht. And there you go. Around there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that'd be nice. Uh, okay. <laughs> one, one more final one for you. Um, what is the meaning of life uh, um, according to Jamie Mitchell? Oh man, the meaning of life is just happiness. You know, I think that uh, with with happiness, um, 
you know, everything in your everything else in your life flows forward, you know. So, you know, for me, it's it's seeing my kids happy, um, my wife happy, and myself happy, you know. And uh, usually, if there's a smile on their face and we're happy, then we're doing things the right way and things and things are going the uh, the direction they should be. So, it's all about happiness these days. Well, well, that's beautiful. I know I'm super happy that you joined us today, and I'm sure everyone listening uh, from here on into the future is going to be very happy that they uh, they heard you and what you had to say and just taking the time to speak with us. So, um, Jamie, thank you very much. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Good to see yeah. you, buddy. Yeah, bro. And um, heal up. I, I know you have a little bit of recovery to go through, and um, I, I will be thinking of you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Excellent. Good luck with your, um, your uh, Austin experience. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.